Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. One of my favorite conversations I've ever had on There Are No Girls on the Internet is with a writer who was targeted and harassed online about how she continues to stay safe while doing visible work on the internet. Without missing a beat, she said, anybody worried about online harassment should sign up for Delete Me. I signed up for Delete Me right then and there, and I personally recommend it to anyone. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls, code nogirls. There Are No Girls on the Internet is a production of iHeartRadio and Unbossed Creative. I'm Bridget Todd, and this is There Are No Girls on the Internet. It's almost election day here in the United States, and there is so much on the line in this election. There are also historic numbers of women and women of color running for elected office this cycle. And while that is great to see, we know that these women will face racialized, gendered attacks that their white male counterparts simply will not have to deal with. They'll have to take extra security concerns, both online and IRL, that their male counterparts won't have to deal with. And yep, that is an extra cost burden that we know that they'll have to shoulder just because of their identity. So to discuss all of this, I sat down with my good friends, Samantha and Annie, over at the podcast Stuff Mom Never Told You, to lay out our concerns in the upcoming midterm elections and what needs to be done. I love Halloween, but one thing that does always come with Halloween, like every couple of years, is this tension around voting. Is this Mm. tension that the elections are coming up? So it's always like, I'm trying to not think about it. Um, Is there anything spookier? Yes, yes. So Uh, spooky. And as we've hinted at, that's what we're going to be talking about a lot in here. Um, And uh, Georgia, it's been an intense midterm election for us so yeah yeah i guess let's just let's just break down some of the things that are going on in these midterms yes so we're as when we're recording this i don't know how long it will be out when folks hear it but 
Um, we are 10 days out from the election while we're recording this. And I mean, I, I it sounds like you kind of feel like I do, where particularly around midterms, it just makes me queasy because I know that GOTV is so different when it's not a presidential election. Like people, it's harder to get people excited. And especially when I know there's so much on the line, you know, you mentioned Georgia. That's an important race. A lot is happening. A lot is hinging on people actually coming out. And so it's something that I just always feel kind of like queasy about it. And for me, I always kind of, having worked in politics for most of my adult life or like politics adjacent, I always kind of feel meh about elections because I'm not super invested in electoral power. Like I think that there's other ways to build power. And then around like 10 days out, I'm like, oh my God, I need to like, start GOTVing. I need to start like calling everyone. I know it's like, it's like something happens. And so I'm sort of waiting for that transformation to happen. And it sounds like you two are feeling sort of similarly around the elections this time around. Yeah. Um, so for me, I, uh, recently was coming home from a trip with my, um, mother and she drove me past where I vote my polling place and it was the first day of early voting in Georgia and it was packed out like I was like oh my god what is happening and then I looked it up and early voting was happening and I was so it's very heartening to see that many people turn out for a midterm and I waited a couple of days and when I went back it was still crowded and people were excited there were people filming <laughs> everyone was really warm and nice like, oh, so glad you came out to vote, which was it was a pleasant experience for me. But it was kind of like overshadowed. The whole thing was, you know, there's been these crackdowns on voting rights. And why are so many people coming out so early, which I think is great. But it was just kind of overhanging the whole thing. And also because it is a very divisive race, senatorial race specifically in Georgia. I don't know. It was it was one of those things where I was like, I've I've been to midterms before and like nobody was there. And I, I walk mm -hmm. past that area all the time. And so I see it and I would never see a line. And now like every day when I walk past it, there's a line. So that's nice. But I'm still like there you just can't shake all of the kind of negative things that might be behind why that is, even though I'm happy to see it, if that makes sense. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Like as of right now, we have the highest uh, early voter turnout in our state that we've ever had uh, beating last uh, presidential election. So it's amazing to see that things are happening. And we know that that's great indication of things to come. Again, yes, we have had a huge upsurge in um, voter suppression laws in the last five years. Actually, that's always been, let's just be honest, but it's seemingly got, getting worse and worse. And we know uh, the way they have redistricted everything. And it's very, very shady. Although, you know, our current governor was the secretary of state who controlled his own election, which says a lot in itself. Um, and that's a big point of contention here, as well as the fact that apparently uh, Raffelsberger, uh, that's our current uh, secretary of state, um, who actually stood up to uh, Trump at one point in time and got too much credit, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, for what he did, but it's hired a former staffer of Trump uh, for these elections. So there's a lot of questionable things happening. So we have a lot of concerns and a lot of hope. It's, it's such a mixed bag, as Annie was saying, of what is happening here. We're seeing what's happening because the governor's race is a pretty big deal as the um, overturning of Roe v. Wade hasn't made it a huge deal as we do have a six-week ban in um, Georgia currently. And then there's just talk about the fact that they're going to punish um, those who do have abortions uh, as uh, murder, possibly charging them with murder with the fact that they're doing this whole like, you know, unborn fetus law and protecting of them as as like and, and crediting them as a citizen type of conversation, which we know is trickery and is leading way to a lot of imprisonment and unfair treatment. And we know this is uh, completely targeted at marginalized individuals in our state. So there's a lot of concerns. There's so much that feels like it's being really weighty here right now. And it does. It feels like it is life or death for so many of us. And again, I'm, I'm being very local on this moment because this is kind of where we are. And Annie and I obviously have to concentrate so hard in these conversations. So uh, there is this level of doom, <laughs> which I'm wonderful at 
conversation, bringing up all the time, apparently. There's this fear and level of doom in this election that feels too heavy. At the same time, we are the butt of jokes with our current senator race. And it's, it's, it's really like you want you, you have to laugh, but want to cry as well as why? Why? Just but why? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I... If you got, if you all get me started on Herschel Walker, <laughs> I will never, I will never stop talking. Um, so I'm not going to comment on that. Boy, I want to, <laughs> but, tr- but truly, if you got me going, <sighs> I would never stop. Yeah. I will just say that all of that is really valid. You know, I think this feeling of it's great to see people voting, but that like unease of like, but what does that mean for everyone? I think that's really valid. And just the feeling of knowing how much is on the line, what is at stake this time around? I think that that's, I hate to say it, I think as our elections become more and more contentious and as things become more and more polarized, I think that's going to be a common sentiment. And, you know, something that kind of speaks to that is the fact that there are more women running for statewide offices than ever before, which, you know, I think is should be good news. 2022 marks a record high for women running for gubernatorial and Senate races. Um, there's about 65 women running for governor's races across the country in this cycle. Um, I should say it is not all lefties. Um, there are more Republicans than Democrats making those bids. This is all according to data from the Center for American Women in Politics. And I, I it's true. It's like, I... When there are long lines at polling places, I'm like, oh, that's great, like democracy in action. And that's definitely preferable to people having elections not go their way and then trying to force them to go their way via violent behavior like we saw on January 6th. And so things feel charged, I guess I'll put it that way. And Women are poised to make gains in statewide contests, but they remain underrepresented in key legislatures around the country. And it's also true for Black women. We're seeing more Black women and more women of color running for local office. Black women have set record numbers for candidates in gubernatorial, Senate, and House races. It's the cycle. Um, And there's a lot of Latina and Hispanic gubernatorial and U.S. House Senate candidates and a record number of Asian and Pacific Islander women who are running for governor. And so I... As fraught as that can be, I think it's overall good, you know, not just because representation matters, which it does, but also I think that anything that gets us closer to a representative democracy, one where there's people who actually have the lived experience of the people that they are governing is a good thing. And so, like, that's one kind of silver lining, I guess, is that particularly when I think about issues like abortion, like you were talking about, Sam, I... I don't have any hard numbers for this. I would suspect that women are motivated to run for office because those issues have taken such a national stage recently. I wish I could say that it's all women who, you know, want to protect abortion access. I wish I could say that if you were a woman, that was part of your platform, but that would not be correct. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that is very overwhelming right now in Georgia, and I'm sure uh, in a lot of places, but our um, political ads are intense um, and hard to escape. But yeah, so it's it's kind of like what I was saying. We have these positives. We have more women running. We have more people of color running. We have more black women running. But that doesn't come without these realities that you have spoke about a lot on the show that often get kind of swept aside and not talked about, even though they are so important and they are impacting our political landscape. Exactly. And so I think it is so great when we support women, especially Black women and women of color, to run for office and to just generally be involved in civic life through things like working as election workers or becoming vocal advocates or activists on an issue. Uh, But it is imperative that that support be grounded in the reality of what we know these women will face when they find themselves in those situations that we, you know, championed them to, to hold, right? So we are, on the left, we're very fond of saying things like, trust Black women, support Black women. And that is very true. But we can't just, you know, advocate for Black women to get into these positions We have to be honest about what they will face when they get there and then really do the intentional work of creating the conditions for 
them to have an equal playing field to make sure that they will thrive in those positions. Because it's one thing to be like, oh, yes, put Black women in leadership positions. But then are you going to support them when they face the attacks that we know they are going to face? You know, for instance, I was super excited when President Biden said that he was going to pick Black women to be the vice president um, and also nominate a Black woman to be a Supreme Court justice. But I also know that that means that those Black women would certainly face heightened attacks that their white male counterparts just would not have to face. And so I was then a little bit disappointed to see that the White House didn't really meaningfully deal with this reality, right? Like, I, I wondered, like, are they setting Black women up to deal with the harassment and attacks that we know are going to be, like, racialized and gendered, not attacks based on their records or their merits or their actions, but attacks on their identity, who they are. So when these attacks happened, which we saw with both Harris and Justice Jackson, the White House didn't really acknowledge them. And of course, the women themselves can't really talk openly about them. So we all just kind of saw it happen. And nobody was at the very least, talking honestly about it, let alone working to create the conditions to combat it. Right. And that's just such a huge thing of, you know, either it's a drain on you because you're having to deal with these attacks, or you just kind of distance yourself from social media. And then that in itself, people can interpret in a variety of ways that are probably not good. <laughs> um and then people, especially younger people seeing that, like that there's just so many unhealthy things about what that says um, that we're accepting um, as, as something that's just like par for the course. That's how it is. And the, the very unfortunate thing uh, is this is not just like one time or just a few times. It's like all over the place. Exactly. It's not an isolated thing, I'm sorry to say. According to a report from the Institute for Strategic Dialogue called Public Figures, Public Rage, Candidates Abuse on Social Media, Statistically speaking, Black women and women of color are more likely to face racialized, gendered attacks than their white male counterparts. And the study, which you can find online, is super interesting. They found that abusive messages on social media accounted for 15% of those directed at every female lawmaker that they analyzed, compared to around 5 to 10% when they looked at male candidates. A few of their key findings are that women of color are particularly likely to be targeted online. Uh, male politicians of color are not more vulnerable than their white counterparts. They are attacked at the same rate. And abuse toward women was more likely to be about gender than the abuse targeting men. So abuse targeting men was usually focused on their political stances, um, while the messages directed at women were more likely to be about their appearance or their general competence. Interestingly enough, female Democrats received 10 times more abusive comments than their male counterparts on Facebook, and Republican women received twice as many abusive messages as Republican men. So it's a, a bipartisan issue. It is an issue impacting all women and women of color. You know, it, it's not just women on the left who face it. It's all of us. Right. And, and one of the things, one of the points you make when you come on here all the time, which I think is very important and I love, um, is that a lot of times people can distance like, oh, that's online. That's not real life. Um, but that is not at all the case, right? Yes. So I'm sure people are like sick of me saying this because I, you know, say it, scream it from the rooftops every time I'm, I am given a platform. But I think we have this misconception that when we talk about online harassment and abuse, we're talking about online issues. And the research could not be clearer that even though these attacks may start online, they do not always stay online. And a great example that we're seeing right now is Representative Jayapal, a man started by sending her violent emails and threatening messages online, showed up outside of her house with a gun. I just had to take a minute from recording this podcast to click send on a statement about the husband of Nancy Pelosi, someone who had a, just today, while we're recording this, someone with a history of violent, you know, rhetoric on social media, broke into Nancy Pelosi's house and attacked her husband with a hammer when he found that she was not there. And so it's so important and deeply imperative that if we're going to take this kind of violence seriously, that when someone reports violent threats or violent attacks online, we then take it seriously if we're going to prevent real-world violence from happening. Because the two are linked. It's just that the, the research could not be clearer. Time and time again, when somebody is the perpetrator of a mass shooting or an incident of mass violence, you follow the paper trail and, oh, they had an online history where they were threatening women or being aggressive or hostile toward the women in their life online. And so we cannot get a handle 
meaningfully on the abuse of women if we do not take it seriously when it happens online. It's just not going to happen. And so real-world violence is connected to online violence, and we need to deal with it as such. But unfortunately, that has not been the case. For so long, people have been so quick to belittle it when a woman speaks up about what she's facing online, particularly if that woman is Black or a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Y'all know I love the internet, but a sad truth about it is that it can be a scary place, especially for women, people of color, and trans folks. We've talked to people on this podcast, whistleblowers, activists, and advocates who are making technology safer, who then become targets for doing that work. But the truth is, it can happen to any of us online. That's why I personally use and recommend Delete Me. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online and makes sure it stays off. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and use promo code nogirls at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash nogirls and enter code nogirls at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash nogirls code nogirls. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. We've talked about so much harassment and and. I know one of the biggest platforms, and I know we're going to talk about this later, and I'm already dreading it. Uh, Twitter has been one of the biggest perpetrators in allowing this type of abuse and not um, actually following through in the policies they've, they've already uh, placed themselves to try to supposedly stop these types of harassments. And then knowing that there's even ways to 
actually find specific people to target, like when you were talking about the bots and then just having uh, pretty much hate farms created on these types of platforms. I can't imagine what it does to, to yeah, it's happening to those who are on higher profile levels, I guess is the best way to say it. But to be fair, like I am petrified as someone who kind of is, is supposed to be, I don't know the word, not influencer. I don't know. Person. What is, like what is okay, public person? We'll say this. We'll say public <laughs> person. My name is out there. Like I'm petrified with my 500 followers that I'm going to say something wrong and or they're going to hear someone's going to hear something that we do take it and say that means we can go after her and wondering what that would be like because I've seen normal people regular people getting attacked like holy shit, all they said was this one thing and or just agreed with something and people are going after them oh my god I mean absolutely and we're also I would be remiss to not mention that we're having this conversation on day one of Elon Musk at the helm at Twitter and <laughs> People keep asking, like, oh, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? And I can tell you that that people who are extremists, bad actors, people who are interested in, you know, perpetrating these, the, the kinds of, like, harassment campaigns that you were just talking about, Sam, those people are rejoicing, right? Like, just today, I already saw a bunch of tweets where someone was like, I'm going to use the N slur as many times as I can because it's okay now on Twitter. These are the kind of people that Elon Musk is welcoming back to the platform. These are the kind of people who are rejoicing because Elon Musk is at the helm of our one of our largest and most important communications platforms. And so you're exactly right that I think we started this conversation talking about elected officials, people running for office. More and more, we are seeing that trickle down to just regular people. And I want to be clear. So it is, it is we have seen this kind of online behavior keep marginalized people from doing things like running for office, but also from doing things like just serving their community as election officials or poll workers, from speaking up about their opinions at school board meetings. Because all people who just generally engage in public civic life, they know that in this climate, they are setting themselves up to be attacked. And we're not talking about people. Like, it's bad enough that it's happening to women running for office, but when it's happening to people who are just you know, everyday people, it's not like they have a security detail. It's not like they have money to protect themselves in the way they would need to. And just a few examples that we're seeing recently, educators are being attacked by extremists for being suspected of being LGBTQ or for teaching something that these people do not like. Um, and these campaigns have been incredibly effective. One of them happened right in Georgia, uh, Cecilia Lewis. She's a Georgia educator who was basically run out of town by a group of parents organizing on Facebook because they suspected her of, she had not even like gotten the job yet, and they already suspected her of planning to teach critical race theory. Never mind the fact that she wasn't, that that's just complete conjecture. Uh, it just happened to be that she is a Black woman, and so they were able to say, like, oh, she's going to teach her kids critical race theory, even though she wasn't even an in-classroom teacher. She was just an, an administrator, right? And so she had to leave town. And when she left town, these people followed her to the next town that she went to and ran her out of that town too. And so these campaigns are incredibly effective. And another good example is looking at election workers, 80% of whom are women. Election workers are being baselessly attacked and accused of things like vote tampering if elections don't go the way that these extremists want them to. Again, another example from Georgia is if you watch the January 6th commission, you might have seen the story of Ruby and Shay Freeman. That story broke my heart. A Black mother and her daughter with a long storied history of serving their community as election and poll workers. Like, the Black women in your town who, if you have any questions about voting, they got you. If you need help voting, they got you. Like, people who are called to serve their community and have been for a very long time, well, the thanks they got for that was being horribly attacked. When Trump lost Georgia in the 2020 election, he and Rudy Giuliani and his other cronies baselessly, repeatedly, and publicly accused these women of vote tampering. They had videos of them where they said that they were moving votes, which never happened. Um, and this led to really terrible, frightening attacks on them where people showed up at their home and the home of their elderly grandmother and they had to flee for their own safety. And again, these are regular people, not people that have a security detail or people that maybe have the money to scrub their personal information from the internet the way that you would need to if you were facing these kinds of attacks. Yeah, actually, I had volunteered one time to be a uh, 
just to oversee as people are lining up, make sure everything is okay. Nothing, nothing. I don't, I don't talk to anybody. I just make sure everybody has the right to vote. No one's being harassed. All these things. That's all I did. But the entire group of people who were actually volunteering, handing out the pencils, giving instructions, checking IDs and such, were all black women, every single one of them. And just this uh, last voting, when I did, my whole uh, precinct was all black women. Sweet, too. They were so great. And we had the 45-minute uh, line, and they were so on top of it, trying to make sure to get everybody through seamlessly. And they did a beautiful job. And they were there. Like, this was the... I think the fifth day of the week that they were doing this and they'd been there and they were not complaining. They were smiling, making conversation. And it's like people like them who are making this happen and going on so well and so uh, perfectly as if there's nothing happening. Literally, the line was smoothly going and I loved everything about that. And I cannot imagine just because they're there, they exist and they decided to help their community. They're going to be targeted and being yelled at. And honestly, um, I know there was conversations of people really being scared about being physically harmed because people were pushing and, and trying to do so many intimidation tactics to accuse and blame somebody for the loss of a bully. I mean, yeah, this is just my opinion. Black women <laughs> are the backbone of our democracy. They are like a older black woman from the South. They are mm -hmm. the grease of the wheels of democracy. They really are. Like, I feel like when I go into a place like that and I'm like, oh, of course there's like hella black women with clipboards in here. Like, that, yes. like that's the vibe. And, you know, and we know that 80% of election workers and poll workers are women. I would be, be willing to bet that a bunch of those are black women, especially right. in the South. And I think that what we're really doing is allowing for people who are the most marginalized in our society, we are allowing for them to put themselves out there to support our communities and our democracy in these ways. For not a lot of money, but mind you, because a lot of these women are volunteers or very low paid. And we're saying you also need to absorb these attacks to do so. And we're we're basically setting these women up to be attacked and giving them no and not even really talking about it when they are. Right. And so I think it, I've my experience with voting has been the exact same, that these are the women who are at this point, I would say risking a lot to make sure that our democratic process is able to take place. And Honestly, this is probably not surprising to anybody because these kinds of attacks are meant exactly to keep those kinds of people from doing what they do. It is meant to keep them from doing their work of keeping the wheels of democracy going. It is meant to keep them from being engaged in civic life because who would want to serve their community by working as a poll worker or running for office if it means that them and their families are going to be facing these kinds of attacks? So Probably not surprising to anybody that here we are 10 days out from an election and the United States is facing a national shortage on poll workers. Kim Wyman, who is the senior election security lead at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or the CISA, said that because of a rise in threats against election workers, one in three election workers and poll workers have quit their positions over fears for their safety. And state officials are having a hard time hiring folks for these positions because, again, who would want to do these like low paid duties if it means like, oh, you, you and your family might have to flee for your safety. This is because you wanted to do this position helping your community in this way. I can understand why people are not lining up to, to do this work, but you can see how big those consequences are for our democracy and for all of us when we can't even get people to do enact the labor that needs to happen for our democratic process to exist. Yeah, um, and... As you've mentioned, like, we've arrived at not a great space <laughs> in our democracy, but we've had a long history. Like, we had plenty of signs of of where we could have listened to, especially Black women, and we didn't. And this is where we are. So can you expand on that a little bit? Yes, I believe that this entire thing, all of these threats to our democracy, is really connected and goes back to not listening to Black women. Because I talked about the fact that you know, these threats that start online become real-world threats. Black women have been saying this for a very long time, and I feel that nobody has really listened. You know, some of the first people to really raise the alarm about the role that online harassment plays in our landscape were Black women. These women have been saying this for years, and people, and by that I mean people with power, the people with power to do something, pretty much ignored them. And so I would then argue that not listening to Black women has consequences for all of us. Couple of examples. Um, most people listening are probably familiar with Gamergate. If you are not familiar with Gamergate, 
I am jealous, but essentially it was <laughs> like, if, if that's something that you were like, I've never heard of that before. I want to live the life that you are living. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. But essentially Gamergate was when a bunch of men uh, pretty much attacked and harassed mostly women under the guise of being big mad about scare quotes, ethics in gaming journalism. And it got lots of attention, rightly, and most people like probably remember it. But those same people probably don't know that the same folks responsible for Gamergate were using those exact same tactics against Black women before Gamergate. Women like Adria Richards, who was targeted for racist harassment online after she tweeted about a crass joke about dongles that she overheard at a work event. Or women like Shafika Hudson, who in 2014 actually reported and called out bad actors who were using fake accounts to impersonate Black women to destabilize internet communities. You know, these are women who spoke up about what they were facing on the internet, and they were basically ignored. And I wonder what might have happened if somebody with power had actually listened to them and taken some action. Well, for one, I believe Gamergate might have gone down very differently if when people use these tactics against Black women, somebody was like, hey, wait, this is bad. We should not allow our platform to be used this way and made some changes. Or consider the fact that six years after Shafika Hudson reported people impersonating Black folks on Twitter to cause chaos, white supremacist groups used that very same tactic during the racial uprisings of 2020 to make it seem like Black Lives Matter activists were using the internet to call for people to like loot homes and cause violence. And Twitter actually confirmed this. Twitter was like, oh yeah, we can confirm now that some of the accounts who were using our platform to call for people to like loot and cause violence during these protests, those were actually white supremacists pretending to be Black Lives Matter activists. And so, you know, they didn't actually explain why they did all to prevent this from being a, a tactic on a larger scale down the line if they knew it was a vulnerability of their platform. And when we zoom out even further, these are the same tactics that a Senate inquiry in 2019 would confirm were used to try to destabilize the 2016 election, right? And so if when these Black women reported what they were seeing online, if somebody had done something, I wonder, would bad actors who were trying to use this tactic to destabilize our elections and destabilize our online communities and truly cause violence and chaos, would that have been a, a viable tactic? I would argue maybe not. But again, these are the consequences when folks don't listen to Black women and don't take them seriously when they speak up about what they're experiencing online. Yeah, and one of the things that annoys me the most is when this whole idea of, like, that's just sort of the price of the game, accept it. Like, you know, if you're tough, and sometimes people will try to paint it in a very nice brush, like, you're strong enough to make it against all this harassment, all this stuff online. You're you're so tough. But really, we shouldn't be accepting this or expecting this in the first place. And that is one of the things, the points you're making here is that we've normalized it to the point where I've even heard conversations where, pe where people will paint it as like, oh, it's a good thing. She's tough. She can survive in this environment. It shouldn't be that way. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I don't want to have a political landscape where you have to be able to publicly endure and withstand attacks on you and your family. Because when it's women, the research is super clear that it's never just the woman who was attacked. It's her, her mom, her dad, her kids, her partner, her community, her neighbors, her friends. I don't want a political climate that says that women have to be able to endure these kinds of attacks on their safety and, and watch their families deal with it as well. Uh, if they want to be elected officials, if they want to serve their community, if they want to just take place in civic life, that's not the kind of climate I want. We should not, that's not acceptable. That's not a, a norm that we should be okay with. Hey ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It is crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where Release the Pressure comes in. It's all about us, Black women, seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or your community, your health is invaluable. Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. 
Here's how you can join in. Head to iHeartRadio.com slash RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com slash RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. So in 2024, one of my goals is to finally get serious about my finances. It's been kind of a big emotional thing for me. Thinking about money historically has caused me a lot of anxiety and stress because I have a lot of trauma related to money. And if you can relate, if that sounds like you, check out Fearless Finance. Fearless Finance provides on-demand, comprehensive financial planning by the hour. It's a new way to get financial advice without all the headaches, high fees, and commitments that come with traditional financial advisors. Fearless Finance planners don't sell anything. No used car salesman vibe here. And that means no concerns about being sold something just for the commission that it earns a rep. Their planners meet you where you are on your financial journey. No judgment, whether you're looking to buy a house, optimize your savings, or just want to make sure your finances are okay. They can answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. No question is too small. No problem is too big. Fearless Finance is making financial advice more affordable and accessible. You meet with your planner virtually, and they charge by the hour. Visit fearlessfinance.com today to get started. You can chat with a planner for free to make sure it's a good fit. And you'll get $50 off your first planning meeting when you use code GIRLS. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You know, and I keep thinking about how the algorithm has changed. And I, I was talking to Annie about our own algorithm. And because we are so afraid of social media, we stay away from it. And therefore, anytime we do put anything up, it's ignored because we don't have a lot of content out there. And I still think about how Twitter, and I, and I know for all uh, you know, references, it's just that when we talk about Black Twitter, it is the community coming together and having like their own space and talking. And because they've kind of become uh, grouped and has, has become a point where if you don't already uh, follow some of these people or if you're not actually paying attention, it just goes away from your feed, uh, kind of how TikTok is doing that, which is making it harder and harder to actually see what is happening and what the truth really is going down. I have to question, like, so is the algorithm really a good thing in that it does this to where you're in your own little hole and where it's putting pocketing uh, black women who are like, hey, this bad thing is happening. We're trying to tell y'all, but the only people who are seeing those are the people who already know. And it's like, what the hell? How do we change that? Yeah, what an insightful question. So this is just my opinion. This is like just representing myself. I don't think that it is good to have a platform like Twitter, especially, be so tied to an algorithm. I don't think it's good for all the reasons that you just said. People, they're there. Voices can be siloed. You can feel like you're talking to the, the choir of people who already agree with you and, you know, know what you're saying. And I also think that I don't think that platforms have shown that they're able to be responsible with algorithmically generated content. Right now, algorithms are just, it's just a fact. They are biased toward content that is 
untrue. False information travels on Twitter specifically much faster and much further than correct information. They amplify content that is extremist. And I don't mean like extremist, like capital E extremist, although that as well, but like content that is, you know, more extreme than not extreme. So if I'm saying like, I ate a piece of toast today and it was burnt. I hate all toast. Rather than like, oh, this piece of toast was burnt, win some, <laughs> lose some. They're going to amplify the one that sounds more extreme because that's, that's what gets more eyeballs. Um, they amplify content that is polarizing. They amplify content that is loud and aggressive. And I don't think that platforms can be trusted to be run algorithmically because they are going to make us all more extreme, more polarized, less informed, and less thoughtful. I would love to see an algorithmic model that is amplifies content that is thoughtful, honest, accurate, timely, whatever, but I have not seen it yet. And so I think platforms have shown that they can't be trusted to, to work with algorithmic models because they're just going to amplify stuff that makes us all worse off. Right. Yeah. And I, I honestly, just being new to TikTok, and we've talked about TikTok often um, on the show, but it also does the same thing with the uh, FYP or For You page, where it only amplifies what seems to be uh, most disturbing. Uh, I say that for my own uh, concept, because there's so much out there that the word shadow banning and the idea that it, many of these algorithms do this, that there's enough that um, people can complain or make false allegations and, and their standard of what they think is bullying and or racist is not. And apparently they have a pretty big threshold of saying, no, nah, it's not right. racist, we're good. Um, even though it's obviously super racist in the fact that they uh, seem to keep working on that level in, in allowing for things that we know is... I don't know, being threatened, being called uh, by a stereotype, that I would consider racist. Uh, but yet for so often, it's not that big of a deal. They're not really threatening you. Like, wait. Yeah. So we have to have a police report to actually say that we're being threatened. And that seems to be happening often in these platforms. Exactly. And this is when I said I wasn't really a big fan of algorithmic platforms. One of the reasons is because I think that we're, as humans, we are giving the responsibility of moderating platforms more and more to algorithms or AI. And AI is smart and good at lots of things, but there are some things that you need a human's take on. And so, Sam, you know, you talked about how, like, oh, I'm being called a racial slur or, like, I'm being attacked in this way. Bad actors are so good at using dog whistles or coded language or things to get around AI or machine learning that is, like, you know, working as a content moderator. And they know how to exploit those loopholes. And so I completely agree, especially on TikTok. I feel like they really need to make some changes with how their platform is run if that platform is going to be safer and more inclusive. Um, I think it was the Washington Post recently that just did a little experiment where, if you, if you don't follow the Washington Post on TikTok, they have a really interesting TikTok channel. They are doing a series on TikTok where they used all these words that they were certain were going to get their TikTok suppressed. Um, so they, they did a TikTok where they said, racism, Black Lives Matter, disability, um, you know, all these other words, because they were like, if you if you use these words in your TikTok, they are more likely to be suppressed. And so they were doing an experiment. And by golly, it worked, you know? And so it's clear to me that platforms are not being run, one, with a thoughtful, nuanced, sensitive human who is able to understand nuance at the helm, and two, just not being run in a way that amplifies good conversation, thoughtful conversation, substantive conversation, and does not amplify garbage, lies, extremism, hate, racial slurs, all of that. Yeah, and on top of that, you have, again, as you talk, bad players who, and I've seen this a lot more on TikTok because, again, I'm that person. Uh, but, like, in the conversations, are they thinking that they're doing something good and doing that extreme call-out uh, in which they get people uh, fired and canceled and all of these things and go after people on just one video? And don't get me wrong, a lot of these, I, I agree that these people who are saying really nasty crap and being caught on camera or caught on their phone for saying these things should be called out. There should be repercussions, but it's come to a point that it's entertainment almost. And, I, and I'm wondering where this is going to lead because it's a fairly new thing out of the last um, five years. And I say this for the, both the left and the right, that it's like, this is, this is getting dangerously toxic, dangerously yes. toxic. That's a whole different conversation. I know. <laughs> no, it's so funny that you bring this up. Cause I, so I recorded the first episode of internet hate machine with Sophie yeah. uh, earlier in this week. And I have an, uh, perhaps unpopular opinion on this. 
when I first got on TikTok specifically, I followed a lot of creators who made content that was like, this guy is a racist and this is where he works and I'm going to call his employer and get him fired. And I used to be like, yeah, like fire that racist. I really loved it. As I have, I guess, matured and, and matured along with the platform, as cathartic as that, as that is, I don't think that that is an appropriate tactic. And I think that even if I am in agreement, like, yeah, this racist shouldn't be doing this. And there are definitely exceptions to this, I'm sure. But in general, I just know how easy it is for bad actors and extremists to weaponize that very same tactic, right? We're going to coordinate and have all these people call this person to get them fired because we didn't like what they tweeted. I don't think that that is a tactic that makes us smarter, that makes us better, that makes us, you know, healthier as a society. So even when I see it happening with someone who ostensibly I agree with shouldn't, right. you know, they be hired, it, they but... deserve it. I feel like I know how easily that is a tactic to be exploited and weaponized by bad actors. And our first episode actually deals with this woman, Adria Richards, who I was talking about earlier, who was one of the early targets of that, where she tweeted a picture of these two guys at a, con a tech conference who were making a crass joke that she didn't like. And she got horribly mobbed where they coordinated on, on sites like 4chan to call her employer. They threatened her employer. And rather than supporting her, her employer fired her and was like, okay, yeah, you guys want her to be fired? She's fired. And I've just seen time and time again that that tactic is so easily gamified and weaponized and exploited by bad actors that I don't think anybody should be engaged in it. Right. And that's that's that other conversation that it keeps going to my head is that the whole level of doxing, and, which is this kind of like, again, this is the entertainment level. And this is where it's getting really disgusting to me that I'm like, OK, we, we have used this as a form of entertainment to see if people can be ruined. Yes, consequences should happen. But there's this whole new level that that's entertainment now. And that needs to be a conversation like the whole gist of the entire conversation is it becomes a small thing that becomes bigger and bigger and then normalized. And then it's like we don't realize what we're doing in that we have not only ruined people's lives, but probably a lot of innocent people's lives in attached to that. And then you see that, OK, this has been happening, but these platforms like TikTok, which is fairly new, are still allowing it to happen. How is this not changing? Exactly. And I, and I think we have gotten to a place where it's it's normalized as entertainment. And it's, it's not even I mean, like we're talking about pretty serious things like women running for office and being engaged in democratic and civic life. Do you remember Couch Guy uh, yes. on TikTok? The guy who everybody was so convinced was cheating on his girlfriend and was caught on TikTok because his long distance girlfriend films a TikTok of her surprising him and his he's not reacting the way that maybe you might expect somebody to react. And everybody was like, overnight became a body language expert. And like, I, I saw... People on television news, I saw a segment where they had a, a, quote, body language expert breaking down his body language. These are strangers, right? And so I do think we've gotten to this place where we are, we've gotten really comfortable making complete, like, assumptions about people we do not know, confidently going on, on big platforms and airing those assumptions. And because of the way that algorithms work, those assumptions will get millions of people to watch them right. and then reply with their own assumptions because of the of the sort of riff and remix culture of TikTok. Then they'll say, well, actually, I think he was cheating like this and not like that. Like, yes, it's not it's not healthy and it's not it good isn't. for our society. Oh, the couch guy was such a meme, uh, essentially. But, you know, I've seen something similar to that just recently on Twitter and I, I, I have no opinion. I just was like, wow, okay. Was it Garden uh, Lady? Yes, uh, yes, yes, Garden Lady. I was like, <laughs> wow, that just, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, we did an episode of There Are No Girls on the Internet about this. Garden Lady. Um, so if you don't know who Garden Lady is, she is this woman who has a garden, and she tweeted <laughs> something along the lines of like, Very sweet. I start every morning with taking my coffee out to my garden with my husband, and we talk for hours, never gets old. Uh, love him so much. Love, love the morning. And the entire internet was like, boo, we hate it. We hate it. Boo. Tomato, tomato, tomato. Right. Like It went from like you're being ableist to being you're being classist. And, and 
Like there are things I'm like, I don't know anything about this woman. And then someone went in a deep dive into her account and said, oh, she's an awful person. Keep attacking her. And I was just like, what? What just happened? Yeah. And I so that that was so interesting to me. And I feel like it's a great example of. I love social media and the Internet. I don't think millions of people were meant to weigh in on the morning routine of a stranger in this way. Like, I saw the same thing where people were like, actually, she's anti-vax. And it's like, well, I don't think the people who are attacking her are attacking her because she, they <laughs> knew that, like, she maybe posts. I mean, I don't even, I, I can't, you know, confirm or deny that. But I was like, I don't right. know that that's why people are attacking her. And, I, you know, I saw probably the, the wildest response to that tweet I saw was someone being like, oh, don't you work? And she was like, oh, I own my own business, so I'm able to have flexibility in the mornings. And then somebody else replied, oh, so you're exploiting the labor of your employees and that's why you're able to have these nice mornings? Terrible. And she was like, I'm the sole employee of my small business. And so just like layers and layers and layers of assumed bullshit about someone they don't even know. But that's the thing. It's like it becomes this really, really tempestuous like grounds of like, okay, her doing an innocuous statement about how she loved this moment with her husband has made it. So people have weaponized it against her, telling her she's all these things. And you're like, what? How did we get here? Why are we here? And what is this platform? <laughs> yes. Like, what, like, what is this platform? Like, why am I being told that I need to care about this stranger? Why, why is this sur- being surfaced to me? What is going on that this is even something that I am aware of? Like the morning routine of this person that I will probably never even meet. Yeah. I feel like so many things... One of my big concerns about social media and the internet now is, you know, like internet literacy context. I feel like we've thrown context out the window, but also just that kind of idea where this is a lighter example, but of this, oh, I've got to have an opinion. I've got to have a stance and I've got to say something. And then you like don't do any other research into it. And then when you add in like misinformation and disinformation, it just frightens me, to be honest. Like, I keep seeing all these stories about, oh, this image was fake. And I haven't even seen the image in question, but I know that a lot of people <laughs> saw it and they believed it. And like that, it gets my heart running. <laughs> it gets my heart running. Same. Oh, my gosh. And I really resonate with your point about having to have a take. I feel like so the way that social media functions, both the algorithmic nature of social media platforms and the speed by which social media platforms tend to move, I think it incentivizes people to feel like they have to have a take and they have to have it right away. In reality, it's okay to not have a take. It's okay to to be like, I don't really know anything about this. Me putting my opinion or my voice out there on an issue that I don't know about is not going to be helpful. It's not going to add to the conversation. I'll just listen, right? I don't think that social media platforms incentivize just taking a step back or even just taking a minute to, to figure out what you want to say. It's like, it has to be quick, has to be now, you have to reply, get that engagement. And that doesn't serve anybody. I don't think that social media platforms incentivize the, uh, us to be thoughtful or, you know, our best. There, I think there was like, like, for instance, when the queen died, I don't really know anything about the monarchy. I don't really know, I don't really, I'm not invested in it. And so I'm not someone that you would that you need to hear from on it, right? Like I was like, there are people who are very invested in this. Let them have the spotlight of like saying what they want to say. I think that it's okay to not weigh in. It's okay to not have a hot take. I don't think social media platforms incentivize or encourage us to just listen sometimes. Yeah. And I think we've seen that seep into our daily lives and our politics because I just see that with politicians all the time. And then that muddies the whole conversation because if you have this, I don't know anything about this garden lady, but if you have this whole conversation happening, it's distracting from the very real context and information we have about politicians <laughs> that yeah. are doing these things. So I, I think, uh, I know that this podcast you have coming out is so needed um, mm-hmm. And I'm so, so excited to hear it. Um, if you can yes. tell us more about it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like I've got so... Y- y'all got me worked up I in know, this conversation. I know, we could keep going and going. I know we could. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously. But I, I, think it, I think it does all relate. And I think that 
what we're seeing now is these tried and true tactics of online harassment becoming an animating and normalized feature of our political landscape and discourse. And, you know, there's this phrase that Black women are, quote, canaries in the coal mine for online harms, because first it happens to us, and then it happens to everyone. And bad actors are just continuing to use these same tactics they were able to perfect on Black women on others. And so I think that we need to have leadership, people with power at, you know, elected officials, policymakers, and tech companies listening to Black women so that we can actually get a handle on this. And, you know, I, as we were sort of talking about, I think that our internet and our social media platforms have become so weaponized. You know, it's nearly impossible to have a meaningful conversation or a meaningful discourse on our communication platforms because the leaders who run those platforms have basically incentivized and amplified lies and grifts and scams and extremism. We're more polarized than ever, and grifters know this and are basically running the show. And I think if we're ever planning on getting a handle on this, if we're ever planning on doing something about this, the first step has to be talking honestly about it. And so that's why I'm doing the podcast with Cool Zone Media called Internet Hate Machine. Uh, and I really want to chart the history of online harassment against women of color specifically and how it has led us to this current political and social movement. And so I, I hope that folks will listen. It's something that I think is really timely right now as we go into midterms. I think it'll be timely for a long time as we determine what we want our political and social landscape to look like. Right. And it's important. I'm so excited because it definitely needs to be the bigger part of the conversation as we look at what our democracy looks like uh, in the future, in the near future, let's let's say, um, but not just for uh, the United States, but all around the world, because we are seeing similar things happen on different timelines. And I feel like you're going to be able to bring in such good perspective and so showing the present, the past and, and possibly the future with all of this. So thank you. And I'm excited listen, especially that first one. Yeah, please check it out. Our trailer and episode zero are already live. So you can go to Internet Hate Machine on wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You know how to find your list. This is a podcast. So you know how to find podcasts <laughs> if you're listening to this. Um, so episode zero is already live, but our first official episode will drop on November 2nd. So please check it out. Yes, go subscribe. Please support it. Um, it's amazing work. Can't wait to hear it. Where else can the listeners find you, Bridget? Well, you can find me on my uh, weekly podcast about women in the internet called There Are No Girls on the Internet. You can definitely find that if you're listening to this podcast. Um, that's not going anywhere, so you can listen to them both. You can find me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC, or yes, I'm still going to be on Twitter. Elon Musk be damned. You can find me on, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Bridget Marie. Yes. Um, and as always, such a delight to have you, Bridget. Wishing everybody, you and everybody, all the best as we enter into this final stretch of the midterms. And also, listeners, you might have heard a cameo from Bridget's cat, which was very <laughs> lovely. I hope it stays in. I'm sorry. No, it was I, great. I, was like, I, I love it. I can hear this. the best like, bits. We She's needed it. <laughs> annoyed with me, even though she doesn't have a job and like has everything and is treated right. like a queen. I'm sure your or cat Nuri would be like, oh, I have cat. a job. <laughs> 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 yes. Um, cannot wait till next time. Thank you so much again, Bridget. If you would like to find us, you can. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iHeartMedia. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your favorite shows. So if you've been listening to There Are No Girls on the Internet for a while, you probably know that I was lucky enough to work with the amazing team at Mozilla, the makers of Firefox, to host a podcast called IRL, where we explored the promise and perils of artificial intelligence. It was a dream for me, and guess what? It's been nominated for a Shorty Award, and I really need your help. Can you take a minute and vote for IRL to win Best Use of a Podcast? It's super quick, I promised. Just go to tangodi.com slash IRL. You can vote every day. And y'all, I don't know if this sounds bad to say, but I kind of really want to win. So please vote. That's Tangodi. T-A-N-G-O-T-I dot com slash I-R-L. And thank you. It means so much to me. Hey, ladies, it's Bridget Todd here. 
As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Hi, it's Bridget Todd, host of There Are No Girls on the Internet. Listen, technology has made our lives easier in some ways, but it's also made us homebodies, scrolling mindlessly. Well, you get the point. Let Rails to Trails Conservancy unstick you from home. When you get out on a trail and get to walking, you'll feel so good. Trust me. You'll see that being out on the trail is so much more than a day outside. It's good for your soul. Get ideas for getting outside on the trail from Rails to Trails Conservancy, the nation's largest trails, walking, and biking advocacy organization. Visit railstotrails.org slash iHeart and on social media at Rails to Trails. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and you can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discovery.com slash credit card.